Hello everyone and uh, welcome to the Buzz on Earth podcast. After a decent amount of time spent researching, we are finally back with a new edition of our sustainability news podcast. In this episode, we talk about farming without bees and shy trees that practice social distancing. Uh, we have some news on the forest fire in the icy tundra of Siberia. That's true. and why 2020 is our last and best chance to save the oceans we will also try to answer the questions how much plastic we are eating every day and also how long the good effects of the pandemic on our environment will last but to begin with let me give you a quick recap of what we left you with in our last podcast In our last episode we left you with the question how come women are amongst the largest affected groups when it comes to any natural disaster the logic behind this lies in relativism or dependency it is obvious that someone who is well equipped to handle crises usually minimizes the uncertainties and in turn gets less affected by it so whenever a disaster strikes it is usually the women who are the most vulnerable because they do not have the resources to cope with it genetically speaking as well a man is also better equipped to handle the harshness of the environment even if you keep that aside men are more adept at making quick decisions as compared to women who are believed to be better thinkers probably and better decision makers in the long run taking advantage of this trait of women A study in Honduras put the women of La Masica village in charge of disaster management in place of the usual team of men who were instead asked to make the locality ready to face the disaster. So the gender roles were reversed. Not surprisingly, La Masica was the only village that reported zero deaths during 1998 Hurricane Mitch. So you see, role reversal can be a really good thing. Next item on this month's news menu is a moral dilemma. While researching, I came across an article which said scientists have developed ways in which agriculture can be saved even if all the bees died. Researchers have found that soap bubbles can carry pollen grains and deposit them on flowers by mounting bubble makers or mini drones or bee bots, if you will. Scientists managed to pollinate a pear orchard recently. Now it's good for science and all its advancements but seriously have we seriously come to a situation that we already are looking for ways to save ourselves from the apocalypse that is a result of our own greed well if i have to be honest here on one hand i really want to appreciate this groundbreaking uh, innovation about uh, replacing bees uh, with the level level of efficiency that they have which is simply impossible however the very fact that the thought behind it is borderline nefarious that is what is making me uncomfortable this is definitely a big dilemma for me and don't forget scientists who conducted this bubble experiment also noted that actual bees are far more effective at pollinating plants and uh, sustaining agriculture so we must uh, be very serious about protecting bees 
What do you guys have to say about this? Do leave your comments below. This podcast so far is getting unique at multiple levels. Let us take the case of our shy trees, for instance. I don't want to compare humans with trees, given that trees are generally kinder than human beings. But did you know that trees practice social distancing too? Many forest canopies, for instance, maintain mysterious gaps. These are called crown shyness that helps them to keep sharing resources, but even while keeping a safe distance too. This phenomenon was first discovered in 1982 by biologist Francis Jack Putz, who happened to stray into a knot of black mangrove trees seeking some relief from the afternoon heat for his nap. And uh, he was working in Costa Rica's Guanajaste National Park then. Well, as he lay down for his afternoon siesta and looked at the sky before finally giving in to his slumber, he was amazed. Putz noted that the constant clawing of the limbs of the neighboring trees had resulted in certain parts of the affected trees not growing in that direction at all. Well, not that we can blame their poor trees for it. No one wants to be a near troublemaker. I mean, you could fight back too, but trees are usually grounded, so it is hard uh, for them to retaliate. That being said, let's discuss something even more serious. We usually say, set the water on fire in the context of either petroleum products or even when we have to appreciate uh, super performance or achievement. Sadly, in the case of Siberia's tundra, it wasn't either. Coming up in our next news item is this. Climate change can have some really serious consequences. We talk about uh, melting of the glaciers, the polar ice caps being lost, the world being submerged in the water, and sadly now it seems that all of that isn't as far. For months, Siberia has been experiencing extreme heat conditions due to a combination of uh, persisting sunny weather and human-caused climate change. In addition to producing Arctic temperatures that cracked 100 degrees in June 2020, the heat was fueled as an enormous outbreak of wildfires, including fires on tundra. This rash of fires on landscapes that are typically too cold, wet and icy to burn is raising alarms for ecologists and climate scientists who fear that it is yet another sign that the Arctic is undergoing rapid changes that could tip off a cascade of consequences both local and global. The problem lies in the fact that if this phenomenon uh, becomes a regular occurrence on uh, Siberia's thawing tundra, it could dramatically reshape entire ecosystems, causing new species to take over and perhaps priming the land for more fires. The blazes themselves could have also exacerbated global warming by now, uh, by burning uh, deep into the soil and releasing carbon that has accumulated as frozen organic matter over hundreds of years. And since uh, now we have already talked about the ice part of the climate change, let's look at another serious problem that is plaguing our oceans. Stay tuned. We human beings owe our life to the sea. 
four in ten humans rely on the ocean for food, marine life produces 70% of our oxygen and 90% of global goods travel via shipping lanes. We turn to the sea for solace. Ocean-based tourism in the U.S. alone is worth $124 billion a year, as well as for medical advancement. For instance, did you know that an enzyme used for COVID-19 testing was originally sourced from bacteria found in the ocean's hydrothermal vents? The ocean also acts as a giant planetary air conditioner. Over the past century, the ocean has absorbed 93% of the heat trapped in the atmosphere by greenhouse gas emissions. It's true that if all that heat hadn't been taken up by the ocean, we'd all be living in Death Valley living conditions by now. But we humans have been squeezing the life out of the sea. We dump 8 million tons of waste into the ocean a year, in addition to uh, agricultural and, uh, and uh, industrial runoffs that poisons coastal areas. And at the rate we are harvesting fish, by 2050, there will likely be more plastic than fish in the oceans. And this year, 2020, was supposed to be the year to start reversing all of those. A series of international policy meetings uh, this year was meant to set global targets for managing fish population, restoring biodiversity, and uh, controlling pollution. But the coronavirus pandemic put all those talks on hold. Nonetheless, environmentalists, scientists, policymakers, and ocean advocates are working desperately to keep the momentum going. They are aware and we should all be aware that this might be the last best chance they have and we have to reverse the tide. As they say, never let a good crisis go to waste. Switching topics now, did you know that this month is supposed to be No Plastic July? Hashtag No Plastic July? Yes. Let us see how well we have been faring on that front. So let's take a look. how much plastic we are eating every day? Ah, it's around 5 grams of plastic which is the equivalent of the weight of a credit card every week. Or a plastic hanger a month, just imagine. According to the World Wildlife Fund website yourplasticdiet.org, you could be consuming over 21 grams a month or 250 grams a year. 8 million tons of plastic end up in the ocean every year. They break down into tiny bits called microplastics, small enough to enter our food chain, along with other types of microplastics like those that are released when we wash our clothes. So what can we do about it? While saying no to straws and bringing along a reusable bag are great first steps, which you must absolutely do. But it's the governments and the businesses who need to solve this as well. There have been multiple reports in the media on the microplastics we are ingesting through our food like shellfish, honey and salt um, and drinks like bottled water, tap water and even beer and even the air we breathe. And as you know the turtles are still dying and so are the marine birds. The other day I just saw a cow munch on a plastic bag. She was actually munching on the food that was in it. But the plastic is something we gave her for free. That reminded me of the gruesome incident, you must have heard of this as well, in which some of our fellow humans fed a firecracker to a pregnant elephant and to fatal consequences. Sometimes I find it really hard to understand. When are we going to learn after all? 
Okay, from the perils of plastic to the platitudes of pollution. All the happiness that we were surrounding ourselves with because COVID had shut us down is proving to be short-lived. Industries will soon come back with full force. China's manufacturing sector has already surpassed its allotted carbon credit by a huge margin. So where are we on the carbon emission front? Find out next in this news item. How long will the good effects of the pandemic on our environment last? With the world locked down, carbon emissions did plummet because of reduced traffic and reduced power usage and low industrial production. As a result, global carbon emissions are projected to be 7% less in 2020 than it was in 2019. This is for the first time in more than 10 years. But if you thought that such dips have any lasting effect on climate change, you are probably wrong. If we go back in history, carbon emissions dropped 26% during the Great Depression, 17% in the aftermath of the World War II, and 3% after the fall of the Soviet Union, for example, in 1991. But after each of these drops, the world has always produced more CO2 than before. So there's no reason to rejoice or be complacent. Because even if we were to maintain this level of reduced carbon emissions, thanks to the lockdown or slowdown in the economy, we would still need to reduce emissions by 50% by the year 2030. That is, if we want to stop global temperatures from rising to levels which scientists believe is necessary to avert some of the worst impacts of climate change. So folks, we have come to the end of this month's podcast. In the end, is the world really such a bad place? Have we really stooped so low that we are about to hit the rock bottom? I'll leave you with this thought, but before I say goodbye, did you hear about the tree which grows at the bottom of the world? That would make for an interesting fact, right? So see you next month with more on that and more such thought-provoking and eye-opening news from the natural world. Till then, this is Shubhodas on behalf of the Buzz on Earth team saying goodbye. Hi there everyone and welcome to the Buzz on Earth podcast. So a lot has happened since we last met. Rather we didn't meet, it was more like you played my voice in this podcast and I sincerely hope that you did not sleep through it. Because sometimes a nice drone of a human voice can lull you to a quick slumber. But it's time to wake up guys. I'm bringing you this month's sustainability news podcast at a time when the natural world continues to battle with man-made crisis. Yes, wildfires. Wildfires continue to rage across the west coast of the United States. About 100 fires have uh, burned over 4.5 million acres across 12 US states 
and three of those California fires itself are among the top five largest fires in the history of that state. It's killing people, it's causing poor air quality and severe damage to our environment. And down under in South America, the fires have scorched a record 10% of the Pantanal wetlands, one of the most biologically diverse regions on the planet. And the fires in Western Brazil raged across more than 7,800 square miles between January and August this year. And then you may have heard about the oil spill that's killing marine life around the lagoons and coastal areas of Southeast Mauritius. The oil spill is bound to cause serious and uh, long-lasting environmental impact on the marine ecosystems near the Blue Bay Marine Reserve Park, which is a wetland of international importance. So a lot of bad news. So this overdose of bad news and this lockdown has really put me in a state where I tend to lose track of what I'm thinking or talking about. And since I'm not allowed to wander about, my thoughts do wander, and quite a bit. Okay, so where did we leave you in our last podcast? Yeah, yes, we were talking about the tree at the bottom of the world. So here's the amazing piece of news that I read in the National Geographic some time back. It was written by environment writer Craig Welch as a memoir of the journey he and his explorer friends Brian Boomer, Andreas Holtz and John Harley took to find the southernmost tree on the planet. They traveled all the way to Cape Horn Island near the tip of South America to a map a border that no scientists had mapped before. The final stands of trees at the bottom of the world. Now, as you know, no trees live in Antarctica anymore, although it was once forested, like tens of millions of years ago. And the islands around it have grasses, but no trees. Even the southernmost islands like South Georgia were pronounced treeless by Captain James Cook uh, way back in 1775. So finally, last year in 2019, this team found and identified the world's southernmost tree, a Magellan's beach in the island of Isla Hornos. Due to the strong wind, these trees rise to a height of say three feet and then they mysteriously turn horizontal and they grow 10 to 12 feet along the ground. At first, the team wasn't really impressed uh, to see the giant mass of tangled roots or branches or whatever it was because these trees look upside down or you may say downside up or maybe it's just uh, how they're made. Some of these trees are dead too and it felt like a world created by J.R.R. Tolkien and compressed from above by a giant hand as Craig puts it. Now it's true forests are on the move. With global warming, tree lines are moving higher up the mountains and tree species are also extending their ranges towards uh, higher latitudes. As I say this, I'm stuck with a question. As the climate changes and the earth becomes warmer, will the north become covered with snow and Antarctica sea of vegetation growth? I'm just wondering. Do post your comments. We'll come back to that. 
So that brings me to the second topic of this podcast. How the earth has lost 28 trillion tons of ice in less than 30 years. Let's find that out. Did you know that 28 trillion tons of ice have disappeared from the surface of the earth since 1994? That is the conclusion of UK scientists who have analyzed satellite surveys of the planet's poles, mountains and glaciers to measure how much ice coverage was lost because of global warming that was triggered by rising greenhouse gas emissions. To put the gravity of the matter in context, Every centimeter of sea level rise means about a million people will be displaced from their low-lying homelands. So now it becomes a basic unitary method to calculate the seriousness of this issue. The scientists also warn that the melting of ice in these quantities is now seriously reducing the planet's ability to reflect solar radiation back into space. White ice is disappearing and the dark sea or soil exposed beneath it is absorbing more and more heat, further increasing the warming of the planet. In addition, cold fresh water pouring from the melting glaciers and ice sheets is causing major disruptions to the biological health of the Arctic and the Antarctic waters, while the loss of glaciers in mountain ranges threatens to wipe out sources of fresh water on which local communities depend. So that was a very heavy and depressing piece of news. Um, The next pieces, I promise, are going to be happy news from responsible firms and responsible people. Leading beer company BrewDog just announced that it has been officially certified as carbon negative and unveiled plans to plant a new BrewDog forest in the Scottish Highlands. The self-styled punk brewery published a wide-ranging new sustainability plan under the banner Make Earth Great Again, which includes the company's 24-month plan to slash its carbon footprint and become a zero-waste organization through its sourcing of 100% wind power, the production of biomethane using byproducts from its breweries, and plans to install carbon capture technologies and switch to a 100% electric fleet. The company said it would plant over a million trees that would sequester carbon as well as promote biodiversity, provide natural food attenuation and drive rural economic development. It will also dedicate 550 acres of the purchased land to peatland restoration in order to ensure that the promised emissions savings are delivered. Here, let me take the opportunity to ask you, did you know that one such venture is taking place in India too? Yes, this is called Mission Prakriti, and this initiative is being spearheaded by Buzz on Earth. It aims at uh, carbon sequestration while also generating uh, employment for the locals. And Mission Prakriti is actually um, an initiative to demonstrate social forestry as a unique model to solve multiple social and ecological problems, including uh, achieving carbon sequestration of 50 to 20 kgs per square meters of uh, food forest 
and offset carbon emissions. And if you want to know more about it and maybe feel like supporting it too, check it out on buzzonearth.com slash prakriti. Let's continue with the spate of good news. I was delighted to know that one of my favorite naturalists and perhaps the most amazing television broadcasters of all times, Sir David Attenborough, was conferred the Indira Gandhi Peace Prize in an online award function earlier this month. The late President Pranab Mukherjee chaired the international jury that selected his name for the 2019 Indira Gandhi Prize for Peace, Disarmament and Development. In a statement, the Memorial Trust said, Few individuals have come to be as identified with the well-being of our planet, of all living creatures and their relationship with human beings as Sir David. It added that Sir David, one of nature's most staunch conscious keepers for over half a century, had perhaps done more to reveal the wonders of nature in his own lifetime than any other person. I agree with that. And at 94 years of age, Sir David returned to our screens just this last weekend with a one-hour film on BBC One, which he says is his witness statement and his vision of the future. It's called Extinction, the Facts, and it is very different from his usual work in which he gives us a stark warning. Extinction is now happening up to 100 times faster than natural evolutionary rate and a million species are at risk. So David says in the film, Over the course of my life, I've encountered some of the world's most remarkable species of animals. Only now do I realize just how lucky I have been. Many of these wanderers seem set to disappear forever. And he leaves us in tears when he concludes by saying, I may not be here to see it, but if you make the right decisions at this critical moment, we can safeguard our planet's ecosystems, its extraordinary biodiversity, and all its inhabitants. Then he ends with a powerful punch line. What happens next is up to every one of us. Yes. By the way, don't forget to watch Sir David's latest Indian wildlife bonanza, Wild Karnataka with your family and friends. It's an ultra HD natural history documentary film that is now streaming on Discovery Plus. I'm sure you'll love that. The next good news comes from British telecom and electronics retailer Dixon's Carphone which is the news for signing up to the Global EV100 initiative as it pledged to switch its entire road fleet to electric vehicles within the next decade. It claims to carry out around 4 million customer deliveries each year and aims to switch all of its 300 light-duty vehicles and half of its 500 medium-duty vehicles to run on electric power by 2030. The company said it would continue to install EV charging points wherever possible while also incorporating miles per gallon targets for each of its drivers to ensure 
a year-on-year -year reduction in CO2 emissions. Global green business NGO, the Climate Group, which manages EV100, said Dixon's car phone was the first technology retailer to join the initiative. Well, yes, true to that, when it comes to technology, Dixon's might be the first to uh, venture into the domain. However, when we talk about cars and automobiles, which brand do you think is the first one to jump on the sustainability bandwagon? I'll pause here to let you guess. I'll come back and give you the name on the other side of the break. So stay tuned. Well, it is a Jaguar Land Rover which has turned to recycled aluminum to cut down manufacturing CO2. The company has developed an innovative process enabling the recycle of old aluminum cans, bottle caps and end-of-life vehicles into brand new premium cars in a move that could cut CO2 emissions from its manufacturing by more than 25%. Co-funded by the UK government's innovation agency Innovate UK, the process was developed to, in, in partnership with the Brunel University as part of a £2 million project which is called Project Reality. The project involved establishing a system for the recovery of the automotive-grade aluminum used to manufacture its products. Vehicle scraps uh, usually are exported overseas but the project drew on new separation technology to recycle materials from old cars so that it could be blended with aluminum waste, thereby reducing the need for virgin aluminum. JLR said it was using pre-production of its Jaguar I-PACE electric vehicle uh, prototypes to test the process, estimating it could potentially reduce alloy production carbon dioxide emissions by up to 26%. Now, I know I have bored some of you with all the automobile talks, but there's more good news as well, especially for the women folk. So stay tuned. So yes, the last in our podcast for the month is an eco-revolution which beauty brands are bringing to the market. Now, honestly, I don't know much about these products, but I know that the cosmetics industry produces a lot of waste, about 120 billion packaging units every year across the globe. So you see many tubes of mascara, for example, or lip gloss, and tins of powder, blush, or eyeshadow, they can't be recycled at all and they may also contain chemicals that are not good for the environment. Recently, beauty brand Sephora announced a partnership with the Environmental Defense Fund to continue the reduction of toxic chemicals in its products. It reported that 94% of its products now contain no high-priority chemicals that are laid out by its chemical policy that lists over 50 ingredients considered unclean. Alta Beauty, uh, which is also a well-known beauty brand, recently announced a new overarching sustainability initiative called Conscious Beauty. This program commits to highlighting cruelty-free and vegan products in store. 
Alta, like uh, Sephora, is planning a made-without list that will tag products free of parabens, phthalates, and 25 other chemical categories. But Alta's marquee pledge is about 50% recycled, biosource material, or refillable containers by 2025. To this end, Alta has teamed up with reusable packaging experts Loop, which is an initiative to combat single-use waste. This comes from TerraCycle. You may have heard of this company, the social enterprise which is on a mission to eliminate the very idea of waste. So Loop comes from there and Loop distributes products including ice creams, um, shampoos and wipes in refillable containers. When customers buy the product online, they put down a deposit that is returned when the consumers mail the uh, containers back. Loop is planning to offer in-store drop-off locations for Alta by the middle of next year. So folks, that was it. Honestly, I wasn't expecting this podcast to go this long, but since it has, let me wrap it up real quick with just one food for thought. It is essentially the question I had put up in the beginning. Let me just repeat it again. As the climate changes and becomes warmer, will the North become covered with snow and Antarctica sea vegetation growth? Maybe in the next podcast, I will have a well-researched answer to this. So see you next month with more on that and more such uh, thought-provoking and eye-opening news items from the natural world. Till then, take care, stay safe. This is Shubhodas on behalf of the Buzz on Earth team saying goodbye.